0: So, and welcome to this podcast series on the Global Bank Review. In this episode, we'll be elaborating on the points raised in our article, which we called Power Plays Have Social Shifts Upended the Age-Old Bargain Banks Make with Their Staff, coming out of this year's Global Banking Review. We'll be discussing some of the main challenges faced by employers in the finance sector in terms of maintaining a stable and productive workforce. My name is Christine Young. I'm a partner in the employment group at Herbert Smith Free Hills here in London, And I'm here today with Jenny Andrews, who's of counsel in the employment team, and we both regularly advise banks and financial institutions on tricky employment issues in this area. So we are very pleased to be talking to you today. We're also here with Adam Hilton, Senior Business Development Manager for the bank sector, who will be posing some questions for us on this topic. So let's jump right in, Adam.
1: Thanks, Christine. So tell me, what's the focus of today's session?
0: Well, um, until recently, the expectations of a career in banking were well understood. Potentially long hours and tense workloads and tight deadlines, but with an attractive pay package to make up for the sacrifice. However, the labour market today has seen quite a dramatic shift in the social and cultural landscape. We've had industrial action and employee activism, and that's dominated the headlines. And they've been amplified by the cost of living crisis and rising inflation. So social justice campaigns like Me Too and Black Lives Matter, together with the impassioned focus on ESG focus for businesses, really has empowered employees to express their views and put pressure on employers. Then you also have the great resignation and quiet quitting and bare minimum Mondays, as the phrases go, which are just some of the trends that are spreading across social media platforms. are raising concerns amongst employers as to performance and retention of employees. So we're going to be taking a closer look at some of these issues in more detail before then looking at whether or not there's a balance of power slipping back in favour of employers as a result of the slowing economies and the growing fear amongst economists that a long global
2: recession could be on the horizon.
1: So taking the first theme, employee mobility, what are you seeing there?
2: So, I mean, in a highly competitive labour market where talent is scarce, one of the key objectives of finance employers today is attracting and retaining the very best talent. And this is especially important when considering the growing interest which younger people are showing in other sectors, particularly tech. One possible way of doing this is by providing greater flexibility to employees in terms of where and when they work. Employees are more mindful of the life they want to lead in the workplace and discussions around mental health and work-life balance are coming to the fore more and more. We're certainly seeing employees across the globe become more assertive about when, where, how and for whom they work. As employees embrace this new perspective, the inevitable outcome has been a phenomenon which many economists have referred to as the Great Resignation. This paints quite a vivid picture of the high employee turnover rates that we have seen in recent years. Um, These turnover rates are expected to continue, and a recent study by PwC in May last year found that as many as one in five workers in the UK were considering a career move in the next 12 months. Other surveys have revealed that this figure may be as high as one in three in the finance sector. And the great resignation is, in our view, a sign that the affluent nature of a career in banking doesn't quite hold the sway that it once had. Priorities are changing, And in an increasingly digitized world, these changing priorities throughout the workforce are borne out in trends that spread across the social media sphere. Quiet quitting, which Christine mentioned, is one such trend that has swept across TikTok, where employees are only doing what their job description requires and are not going above and beyond to do additional tasks or overtime. One clip posted by the American TikToker Zaid K went viral with the simple message, work is not your life. The clip has already amassed 3.6 million views and almost half a million likes on the platform. And, and bare minimum Mondays is another trend on social media where employees are coasting through the first day of the working week by only doing what absolutely needs to be done that day. The trend, again conceived by another TikToker, is similar to quiet quitting. And um, this particular TikToker's clip has gone viral on the platform with about 1.8 million views and counting. It's also interesting that prominent public figures have backed these trends, referring to the great resignation in a Q&A. Prince Harry himself is quoted as saying, many people around the world have been stuck in jobs that didn't bring them joy. And now they're putting their mental health and happiness first. This is something to be celebrated. The prince went on to say, we're just at the beginning of a mental health awakening. And there certainly seems to be an intergenerational debate as to whether these social media trends reflect a fundamental change in attitude or are simply a new spin on lethargy towards work. In any event, these trends are capturing the minds of young employees in particular, and employers in finance will need to carefully consider what employees value in order to retain existing staff and attract the top talent. So Jenny, what other trends are we seeing in relation to employees? Well, as we've probably all seen, um, the COVID-19 pandemic sparked a global shift towards hybrid working. And this has inspired some companies to push the boundaries of employee mobility. Back in November 2021, Atom Bank was the first bank in the UK to trial a four-day working week. And um, Atom uh, reported a positive impact on operational productivity and customer service, and has now permanently implemented the policy without any effect on salaries. As a result, the bank saw a 49% uptick in job applications in January 2022 compared to the year before and recorded a higher retention rate during the trial as well. A four-day working week is clearly seen as an attractive benefit and has given Atom Bank an edge in recruitment. And Atom Bank is not the only company to have successfully embraced employee mobility in this way. The non-profit organisation Four-Day Week Global found that 91% of companies who trialled a four-day working week are definitely extending the policy beyond their six-month trial period, and a further 4% of companies are leaning towards extending the policy. The companies were spread across various sectors, including the marketing, professional services, charity and finance sectors. And the four-day week global trial found that revenue rose by an astounding 35% over the trial period compared to the year before, which confirm that greater flexibility doesn't necessarily mean a sacrifice and profitability. Hybrid working is another avenue to provide greater flexibility to employees and is increasingly being viewed as the norm. According to a recent Bloomberg survey, over 85% of finance workers in the UK no longer see the office as their primary place of work. In fact, a survey by the same organisation found that workers would sacrifice 5% of their salaries in order to keep the option of hybrid working. Whilst the demand for hybrid working is clear, banks have not met this demand with a uniform approach. It's been well reported that Goldman Sachs has brought almost two thirds of its workforce back into the office five days a week. The CEO, David Solomon, described remote working as an aberration that the bank would correct as quickly as possible. By contrast, other banks, including JP Morgan, Citigroup and HSBC, have publicly announced that they will pursue a hybrid model indefinitely. More progressive still, the online bank Zopa introduced a policy last year allowing its employees to work abroad up to 120 days per year. One thing is clear, the priorities of employees are changing. Finance employers will need to provide greater flexibility around working arrangements in order to attract and retain the top talent, or they risk being left behind by competitors who take a more flexible approach.
1: Thanks, Jenny. That's great. So you flagged there that um, priorities are changing for employees. But how is that reflected in employee activism? Christine, did you want to share a little bit more on that?
0: Sure. So finance employers are facing quite a challenge in building positive relationships with their employees. The cost of living crisis has sparked strikes across various sectors in the UK. So everything from transport and finance and healthcare, education, dominating the headlines of the last few months. Finance sector, there is no stranger to industrial action either. So, in May last year, staff walked out of the FCA over paying conditions for the first time in the regulator's history. Then, more recently, the Bank of England agreed to a 3.5% pay rise in January to avoid strikes by the Union Unite. Jenny, I think there's been quite a lot recently on some of this in the banks as
2: well as their regulators. Yes, that's right, Christine. On the 30th of March, bank workers in ING in the Netherlands undertook strike action because they were unhappy about proposed salary increases. And we've seen that in some of the other
0: banks in the UK as well. But there's similar themes seen outside the UK, as you just mentioned. Also, the unions have been increasingly vocal in Southeast Asia, which has been spurred on by the COVID pandemic, as well as in Australia where the Australian finance sector union has successfully campaigned for banks to remove pay secrecy clauses from their employment contracts. So this is, I think, a kind of wider phenomenon. While industrial action has been effective, union membership still remains low in many jurisdictions. According to the latest statistics from the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, only 12.9% of employees in the UK finance and insurance sectors were members of a union in 2021. In France, it's only around 8% are union members, as little as last year, and 1.3% of employees for union members in the US finance sector.
1: It's obvious that there's been a rise in employee activism post-pandemic, but in what way is this happening? And are we seeing this affect real change in the workplace?
0: Against that backdrop, new forms of employee activism have emerged as ways of driving forward corporate change. One example is an organization called Organize, which is a network that connects workers from the same company or sector or country and provides them with tools to lift and focus on worker-led campaigns of getting them off the ground, including anonymized surveys, open letters, petitions, and communications channels. Organize is designed to complement union membership and to support those workers who are not affiliated with a traditional union. Forbes has recorded a 40% rise in employee activism in the US since the beginning of the pandemic. Employee activism is definitely surging, and we expect it to become a permanent mixture in workforce in the years to come. So it's important for finance employers um, to really know how to handle this rise in employee activism. As shortcomings are frequently publicised and can be quite damaging to a company's reputation. Simply not engaging with employee activism can be damaging to employers just as much as offering the wrong response. So, an example of that is Wayfair, the furniture retailer, where they faced consequences of their approach a few years ago after they supplied furniture to a controversial migrant detention centre in Texas. Wayfair didn't respond to its employees which resulted in a well-publicized walkouts that attracted even more negative attention for the company. employers in the finance sector need to foster a culture of openness and engagement with employees through a combination of both internal and external forums in order to avoid industrial action where that's possible and these newer forms of employee activism. This engagement could come through company-wide town halls or employee surveys, or it could be more focused through team meetings or one-to-ones. We've undertaken our own research and have found that banks already recognise the need for such employee engagement. 69% of bank respondents to our Future of Work survey have already established a formal forum for employee consultation and the remaining 31% are planning to do so. So 41% of bank respondents said that they were engaging with employees in external forums and in other spaces, And that has now risen to 72%. So it's definitely a a key theme that we are seeing.
1: It sounds as though there's a real clear desire by employers to engage with employees collectively to avoid industrial action. So changing tack slightly, one of the other themes that we mentioned in the Global Bank Review article was around employee representation. Jen, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what we're seeing in that space?
2: Yeah, thanks Adam. There's been an increasing corporate focus on diversity, equity and inclusion that has been accelerated by social justice campaigns such as Me Too and Black Lives Matter. In a recent study, 31% of senior bank respondents across North America, Australia, Asia and EMEA agreed that social trends were already prompting changes in their businesses. A Glassdoor survey in 2021 also found that 76% of employees considered a diverse workforce to be an important factor when evaluating companies and job offers. This prompts the question, how do banks effectively address diversity and inclusion in their hiring practices and employee policies? We've seen a growing pressure, including from clients, to ensure that the workforce represents the social landscape of the recruitment pool, particularly in cities with diverse populations such as New York and London. The effects of this growing pressure have been felt at a regulatory level in the UK finance sector. The FCA has recently introduced the comply or explain requirement, whereby listed companies have to disclose their performance against targets relating to the representation of women and ethnic minorities on their boards. The comply or explain requirement targets at least 40% of the board as women, at least one senior board position as a woman, and at least one board member from an ethnic minority background. There are similar requirements for U.S. companies on the NASDAQ, who must have at least two diverse directors or explain the failure. But this is subject to a pending court challenge. At state level, California imposed laws requiring public companies to have gender, ethnic and racial diversity on these boards. But these laws were recently struck down as unconstitutional. Despite the growing pressure for better representation, representation alone is not enough. Organisations are also under increasing scrutiny to ensure that employees from minority backgrounds are provided with a supportive working environment to avoid the common challenges related to retention, such as microaggressions, tokenism and a lack of senior role models. Harvard Business Review referred to a study which reported that seven in 10 workers would be upset by a microaggression and half of them would consider leaving their job as a result. The finance industry is facing increasing competition to attract and retain the best talent pool. As potential employees become more savvy to those employers who merely pay lip service to diversity, equality and inclusion issues finance employers will need to come up with effective solutions to the mounting challenges relating to the acquisition and retention of diverse talent.
1: Thanks, Jen. So bringing this podcast to a close, what are the key points for employers in finance to to consider?
0: I think throughout this episode that we've been looking at the growing challenges faced by businesses in terms of maintaining that stable and productive workforce. And based on the current climate, we think employers in finance will need to do A few things. Firstly, they'll need to look at providing greater flexibility around working arrangements. So, weighing up the needs of the business and any regulatory requirements against the risk of being left behind by competitors who may take a more flexible approach. Organisations should also recognise that most young employees, particularly millennials or Gen Z, are taking a more holistic approach to their careers and value a wider range of considerations rather than just high remuneration. Fostering a culture of openness and considering how to effectively engage with their employees, both using internal and external forums to avoid industrial action and the newer forms of employee activism. And finally, more creative approaches should be taken towards recruitment and retention of younger talent, which demonstrates that the employer is truly cognizant of the types of working conditions and corporate culture that they're trying to instill. Otherwise, there's a significant risk of losing out on that top talent to the tech sector in the mounting competition for best talent. Fears of a long global recession are concerning many employees. You know, A report released by the World Economic Forum in February found that 37% of workers are worried about losing their job. And more than half are concerned about job security as a result of economic uncertainty. There is a question of therefore whether or not the balance of power might well be moving back in favour of employers despite what we've just been talking about. So thank you for joining us today I'd encourage you to get in touch with us if you've got any queries along these lines and speak to our employment experts. We are very interested in talking more about employee mobility and activism and representation and if you are interested in that please look at our future of work report which may well be of interest to you. So please do look out for the other podcasts in our Global Bank Review series, which are available on iTunes, SoundCloud and all other good podcast platforms. So thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you.
1: Thank you.